As a church, we're in a series uh, called Living in Exile. Um, And we are walking through the book of Daniel, found in the Old Testament, in the Bible. Uh, It's a story of a group of men who find themselves living in a foreign land. Uh, They're being put under enormous pressure to conform and become like those around them. Uh, We've been looking at how as followers of Jesus, we we live on this earth and yet we are foreigners because our loyalty is to Jesus and to his kingdom. Uh, And this creates this tension because what the world values and what the kingdom values are often at odds. And now I just want you to not, not to misunderstand what we're doing in this series. We are not critiquing the world. We're not pointing the world and saying how the world has got it wrong. We're not suggesting that we need to go back to an era when this country was classed as a Christian one. We're, we're not trying to set up an alternative Christian community when you know, we only watch Christian films, only Christian music, uh, only speak to Christians, buy from a Christian shop, have a Christian mechanic, live next door to a Christian. That's not what we're doing. We're instead saying, as followers of Jesus, we live in this world, and yet we have our loyalty firmly rooted in the kingdom of God. From, the, from that place, we actually can create this alternate community which shows Jesus off to the world around us. That when the people see the way we live, they would say, I want to know who your king is. That we are becoming light that shines into the darkness. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. There is an invitation to each of us to follow Jesus. For many of us, there has been a moment when we encountered Jesus and accepted the invitation. The Bible speaks of something called repenting, which is to turn direction. Instead of following the way of the world, living in darkness, we we turn and we, we follow Jesus. And for some of you here, you've never chosen to turn and follow Jesus, and today there is an invitation. But when we accept that invitation, we we don't suddenly get transported out of this world and into heaven. There is a day coming when we will all face death, and those who are accepted the invitation from Jesus will be welcomed into his presence. But that doesn't happen straight away, if you hadn't noticed. Therefore, there is this tension. We live in this world, but Jesus is our king. And daily we have to choose to follow him, to enjoy living in this world. We can enjoy the the benefits that God has given us, the gifts that God has given us, but never allowing ourselves to be consumed by the way of the world. Romans 2.12 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Today I want to ask you a question. Is Jesus your king? Not have you prayed a prayer of repentance. Not have you, do you come to church and regularly attend. Not even do you call yourself a Christian. But are you daily bowing down to Jesus as your Lord, your King and your Saviour? Today I want to walk through the third chapter in Daniel, and if you've got a reading for me, would you, would you come up now? Um, we all, I want us to read the whole story in Daniel, and, um, and frankly, my voice is boring. So this is Daniel 3, this is the next part of our story, and um, hopefully you know your order. Daniel 3, verses 1 to 7. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. 
and set it up on the plain of Jorah in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, slither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all other kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you have not served my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will, you be, will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you on this matter. If we are thrown into the burning furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not stop serving your, we will not, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. 
And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was there a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Brilliant. Thank you. It was that or a live reenactment. <laughs> Thank you. In this passage we find an earthly king. You know, we've already encountered King Nebuchadnezzar in the first two chapters of Daniel already. And he makes this decision that he's going he's gonna to build a huge statue that everyone would bow down and worship. 60 cubits high, it's about 27 metres. There's this huge statue, music's being played, everyone is warned. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. Uh, this crazy scene unfolds as people throw themselves down in worship. And yet there is this group of men living in exile. Hananiah, Mishael, Ezariah, or in this passage they're, they're called their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. The, these men are Jews. They've been taken from their home in Jerusalem and been taken to Babylon. And they knew the commandment that God had given his people in Exodus 20. Jesus, uh, God gives these commandments and he says, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below or in the waters below. You should not bow down and worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. These men, they knew choosing the instruction to follow their earthly king would mean disobeying their heavenly king. This was a matter of worship. Would they choose to worship the creator or the created? This is a question for us all. Are we worshipping the creator or the created? Are we living in exile with our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, our king and his kingdom? Or are we allowing the things of this world to take, place, take the place of Jesus as number one? Louis Giglio is an author and a songwriter and he describes worship and it's my favourite definition. He says, so how do you know where or what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money and your allegiance. And at the end of that trail, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne is what is of highest value to you 
On that throne is what you worship. Is Jesus on that throne today? And this is not a choice of, are we going to worship or not? We all worship something or someone. You see, we were made to worship. Our hearts long for this moment of worship. Just see the way that celebrities are treated or see what happens when people gather together for sporting events. We are worshippers. Our very nature is one of worshippers. And if Jesus isn't our focus of our worship, then something else will take his place. Whatever we choose to worship will, be watched, will shape the person that we become. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This passage describes what it is to build our life around Jesus and his presence like a tree planted by water. Jesus says in Matthew 7, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by by their fruit you will recognise them. You know if Jesus is the focus of your worship because you will be bearing good fruit, becoming more like him. You know, Galatians 5 talks about the the fruit of the spirit. We read about the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it doesn't mean that things are always amazing. In the fire, things that look bleak for Hananiah, Mishael and Ezariah. The psalm I just read says that the tree yields its fruit in season. And that means there are seasons when it is tough. There are seasons when you have little to show for your obedience in Jesus. But trust that he is faithful and he will always come through. When you're in those seasons, know that God is with you. The men are thrown into the fire because they fail to obey the command of King Nebuchadnezzar. It looks bleak. It looks like the end. It looks like, what is all this obedience? I've I've faithfully obeyed you, God, and where has it left me? It's left me in a fire about to die. And then a fourth figure appears. Some say it's Jesus. Some say it's an angel. We don't know. What we do know is that in that moment, God came. That he provided his protection and his presence in a moment of need. Following Jesus in this world is not an easy thing. We all we have the same hardships as the rest of the world. We we still get sick, loved ones still die, people still treat us badly, we still have the same sin as everyone else, but to add to it, we also have the tension of living as foreigners, living in exile. Yet, Yet in those moments, God promises his protection and his presence. He is with us in the fire. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they are defiant in ensuring that Jesus is the only one they will worship. I just love their response. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I just love how, again, back to chapter one when they respond and they're, they're so polite. They're not It's not an uprising. It's quiet defiance. We will not 
You remember in chapter one, they say we resolve not to. They make a decision. And then it says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I just love that response. They're not claiming victory in faith. They don't actually know whether this is the end of their time on earth. But they know that God is able. But even if he doesn't provide the miracle, they have made a decision. I am not going to worship anything else. When things are tough, I believe the enemy works especially hard to take our eyes off Jesus. You know, when you're tired, when you're feeling low, when you have, a bad, when you have bad news, when you've had a tough week, the enemy comes and he stares up disappointment and he offers us the things of this world. He did this with Adam and Eve in the garden. God says you can eat any fruit from the garden apart from one tree. And the enemy stares up disappointment making them feel like they are missing out even though God has given them abundance. He tempts them into the very things that God had told them to avoid. And he does it with us now. You know, tough week and suddenly that extra glass of wine or a bottle of beer is suddenly really tempting. You know, low on finance and suddenly the idea of gaining through dishonest means suddenly becomes appealing. You know, struggling in your marriage and then suddenly that co-worker seems attractive and the idea of an affair suddenly becomes a real option. You know, we see the mess that people make from bad choices. We see the devastating consequences that whether it's crime or addictions or affairs, whatever it is. And it didn't often start with the end in mind. It started with little choices of compromise. To be dissatisfied with what God has given us. Maybe angry for the way that things are. Maybe questioning whether God truly loves us. Like what Mel, wherever she is, I like what she said, you know, that, uh, you know, does God really love me? Our eyes come off Jesus and other things take his place as number one in our lives. And the thing about worship is most of the time, it isn't those big things that take Jesus' place. Most of the time, it is good things that we allow to become ultimate things. We love our partner. Good thing. But then they become more important than Jesus. We love our kids. Good thing. But their happiness becomes more important than Jesus. We want to use our God-given skills to have a good career. Career. Uh, career. Oh, I don't know what happened there. It's a good thing. But then chasing that next job or that next promotion becomes more important than Jesus. Good things that we allow to become ultimate things. I want to read you that quote that I read earlier on. So how do you know where or what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance and at the end of that trail you'll find a throne and whatever or whomever is on that throne is what is of highest value to you on that throne is what you worship when we place jesus as number one we bear the fruit of the kingdom 
But when we place other things as number one, we bear bad fruit. That's a funky little... That's a good ring tone, that one. I've got a James Bond background. When we place Jesus as number one, we bear the fruit of the kingdom. When we place other things as number one, we bear bad fruit. I know when I take my eyes off Jesus. I know when I allow the things of this world to crowd Jesus out. Anxiety rises. My desire to be in control increases. I am less patient. I get angry easier. And I can excuse that behavior. I can excuse those feelings. I can always point to a reason But my only response when I see other things that I have placed before Jesus is to come before him and to ask for forgiveness. You know, recently I just had that feeling of, I just knew I'd taken my eyes off Jesus and control had become an issue. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) You know, I know recently, I just, I felt it as I was asking God, you know what? What have you placed in front of me? Well, where, where, where am I doing that? Where, it might not be a, 60 meter, a 27 meter statue. It might not be as obvious as bowing down to that, but where the things of the world become more important than going after Jesus. What is that? What is that thing where, and, and you know, as I, you know, God's pointed out, he said, you know, when you woke up in the middle of the night having an anxiety attack, that was it. That's what I had this, this over like a few days ago. Suddenly, the, the pressure of life, the pressure of all my responsibilities, middle of the night, oh, anxiety attack. Taking my eyes off Jesus. Suddenly, the things of this world had consumed me. The, 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 the state of issues in church or the state of my life or the, the pressures that I felt under, suddenly they've consumed me because what had happened is I had placed control on this throne the desire to be in control the desire for a life that i think i should have suddenly is number one man suddenly realizing oh i need you jesus i need you when my anxiety arises my desire to be in control increases i'm less patient i'm less i get angry easier in that moment i just had to take a decision what am i going to do Am I going to plant my feet in the things of this world and say, well, yeah, but I feel this and I do this and that's why I behave like that or that's what they did or, or that's the situation, that's my responsibilities or do I say no? Jesus, I've taken you off, my, off the throne. I need to place you back on your throne and you be alone, the one that I worship. Not the things of this world. I'm not going to be consumed by the things of this world. I'm going to be consumed by God and his presence. Would the band join me? I really wanted us to read that whole passage because I think there is just, there's just one question. I've got one, there was one question that God gave me as I prepared this morning. And and I want to allow us time to respond to this one question. Is Jesus your king? That's my one question to you, to you today. If you've never chosen to put your trust in Jesus, today there is an invitation. 
And if you are a follower of Jesus, have we allowed ourselves to be so consumed by the things of this world? Are there other things or other people who are focus of worship rather than our King Jesus? And I just felt like this morning, we can talk about living in exile and we can talk about this series and how we can, all the positive things about what we can do and we'll get there. But actually there's a moment of surrender. There's a moment to say, I can only offer people the kingdom if I'm living in the good of the kingdom. I can only offer people Jesus if I'm living from a place of his presence. Because then anything else that we offer, if we're not in that place, is counterfeit. We're offering them Jesus plus something else. That's not the gospel. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the one who saves. It's not Jesus plus our good efforts. It's not Jesus plus that addiction that I've got. It's not Jesus plus my career or Jesus plus my family. It is Jesus alone. And so as we, in a moment, we're going to respond in worship. I just want you to come before God and if you realise there is a moment where you say, actually, I, I'm, I've been worshipping other things. Maybe even just, maybe they're obvious things where you're like, oh, just no. Maybe it's good things that we have allowed to become ultimate things. There is a moment for us to come back to the cross, to repent, to say, God, we need you. And we are choosing to place you as number one in our life. Would you stand with me? I would just still ask hearts for a moment. You might want to close your eyes just to cut out distractions. Father, we, we ask you to thank you that you know us. And Lord, I pray right now you would search us. Anything that is displeasing to you, anything that we are worshipping that is other than you, Lord, I pray you would come to each of us now and just to drop those things into our minds. Place a spotlight on them that we would see counterfeit gods in our life those things that we have placed before you those things that are stopping us living fully for you because we've been controlled or consumed by the things of this world Lord would you purify our hearts afresh that we would be like these three men who would say King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you on this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, I want you to know your majesty. I want you to know the world. I want you to know this city. I want you to know when we're consumed by culture, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image of gold. We will not worship the things of this world. We will not worship Korea. 
We will not worship our family. We will not worship that addiction. We will not worship money or fame of importance, of being needed. We will not worship those things because today, Jesus, we are choosing to worship you and worship you alone.